Hi, friends. Welcome to Zach and Brian Watch the Watchmen. I'm Brian, and with me, as always, as the title suggests, is Zach. Um, we are here to talk about the first episode of the Watchmen television series. It debuted on HBO last night, as you're hearing this. Um, the episode is titled It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice, which is a reference to a song lyric from the musical Oklahoma. Um, before we go any further, if you have not watched the show and you don't want to be spoiled, turn around right now. Because there's almost nothing we're going to talk about here that isn't going to constitute a spoiler of some kind. So you've been warned. Watch the show, then come listen to us talk about it. So, Zach, before we get into sort of the minutiae here, I think you and I had very similar initial reactions to this episode. So tell me what you told Vince when Vince asked you, is this good? Um. Well, oh, man, you're putting me on the spot. I think I said that it was not... I think I said it was okay and not not a train wreck. I, I think you said you don't know yet, but you I said, did say that. That is correct. It's yeah. not bad. Yeah, I did. That is exactly what I said. Thank you for cataloging my words uh, better than I did. <laughs> I was looking at a text message. I'm, I'm not <laughs> a genius here, um, but no, I think that's a good place to start. This episode definitely feels unlike the comic Watchmen. Would you agree with that? I I think so, but I also feel like I remember saying, or if I didn't say it, I thought it. I think that if you squint hard enough, it could almost pass as Watchmen. There are definitely aspects of Watchmen in it, but it's not trying to necessarily cop the Watchmen vibe the whole time. No, it's not. Um, and so I, I guess I have a ton of notes here. Uh, not everything that I wrote down is stuff we should talk about necessarily, but mm -hmm. I, I think we should definitely touch on some of this stuff. So I'm just going to start on my list. Do you have stuff you definitely want to talk about, or do you just want me to There, sort of... There are a few big things, but I, I imagine that it will probably come up naturally as you go through your notes. Okay, sure. All right, so um, the episode begins with um, what I thought was newsreel footage of Hooded Justice. And you know, you're watching this this sort of well, not, not, not newsreel footage, but like a silent film about Hooded Justice. And I was like, that's weird. That time frame doesn't really work out. But we see somebody, you know, riding a horse with a executioner's hood on. Uh, but it turns out it's not that. It is um, a film of Bass Reeves, the Black Marshal of Oklahoma. And we are in 1921 for the uh, Tulsa Massacre, uh, formerly known as the Tulsa Race Riots. Um so, Zach, you are obviously not from Tulsa, but you no, are from... No, but I have a lot of friends who are. Oh, really? Is... Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but you are from a part of the country that is much closer to that than I am. Yes, and yeah. And so I was wondering, were you aware of the Tulsa Massacre before this? Because I certainly was not. Yeah, so I mean, I think I... So I can't say that I for sure knew about it before I started kind of like learning about or like reading about the show but I, I do think that it had been at least kind of like touched on in some early press stuff for the show and so <clears throat> I definitely was aware of it beforehand but I can't say for sure when I knew about it for sure it I, I want to say it was more recent than not okay um, I'm going to compare this and folks if you don't want to hear us talk about Lost and the Leftovers you're listening to the wrong <laughs> podcast um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this opening very much reminded me of 
the season two of The Leftovers opening, where it's that, like, prehistoric mother and child scene, Mm -hmm. where it's this, like, tonally, um, this sort of tonally reverent, or relevant, rather, scene that initially does not have much to do with the episode at all. Sure, sure. And kind of along the same lines, the opening to season three does a similar thing with the um, kind of like uh, religious community yes. um, that yeah, that it opens up that. with. Yeah. Or, yeah, kind of awaiting like a rapture event. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I agree with that. Like, definitely. I, I don't like I definitely don't want this whole podcast to just like turn into a kind of like Lindelof wank fest thing but, um, <laughs> but it's it like very will. much in his style <laughs> yes, you know yeah. um or or of, in the style of things that he has done previously yes uh, agreed completely um so that is that's sort of the opening and we were for following this young boy who is basically sent out of tulsa by his parents by any means possible to get him safe and um the the scene is just very viscerally disturbing. It's violent. It's horrific what the, the clansmen there are doing. Everything about it is really tough to watch. It's it's excruciating, I think. Like the degree of um violence and and how it's portrayed and and on one hand, I think like you know, it's probably best that it wasn't underplayed uh you know like yeah. I, I think it needed to have that gravity but it's in, it's extremely difficult to watch it is um there was one note that i took that i i think is is both possibly a thing that was considered but also possibly me just being up my own ass about this stuff but essentially the the little boy in the beginning of that episode is given the superman origin and the Moses origin. Yes, yes, where, where, 100%. You know, I had that exact same thought, yeah. yeah where, where, you no, know, I... his, his parents know that they're doomed, and they send him off in search of a better life. 100%. I felt that as well, and I think that had to have been intentional. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there's, a, there's a note given to him. Um, so here's going to be a late motif for the first few episodes of this show, too, folks. Uh, do you know what the note says yet, Zach? Um, you mean the the side of the note that was written on, or yes. like the the yeah yeah it says something along the lines says, of watch over take this care boy. of this boy yeah, yeah watch yeah. over this boy right. yeah so the reason I said this is going to be a late motif of our show is I did a Watchmen press junket a few weeks ago so I had to watch the first four episodes in order to interview the people on the show and Zach has only seen the pilot right now so uh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to be very careful to not spoil anything for him or for you guys. Um, but so I mentioned uh, at the beginning that It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice is a reference to um, a line in the song uh, Judd is Dead, Poor Judd is Dead from uh, from Oklahoma. And we get the first bit of Oklahoma very, very early in this episode where we see um, the uh, the sheriff, I believe is the title, or captain, captain, I believe of the Tulsa police force and his wife watching Oklahoma, something that will later be referred to as black Oklahoma, because it is an entirely (laughs) African-American cast doing 
the uh, the production of Oklahoma. Uh, I played bass in the pit band for Oklahoma in high school, so I have some familiarity with Oklahoma. Did, did you have any familiarity I with have the play? zero familiarity with Oklahoma. And in fact, I think you had mentioned after watching the first episode that um, a familiarity with Oklahoma may or may not um, spoil or, or heavily hint at things that happened in the first episode. Would you agree with that now? No, now having seen it? I mean, I still have only seen like I still only know like that one song from Oklahoma now and the bit that plays at the end. Um, so I don't quite necessarily I, I kind of can infer what you were talking about, but okay. I still know nothing about Oklahoma, really. <laughs> OK, you don't need to really know it. The, the thing where I, I'm kind of going in order here with the show. So I don't want to mm-hmm. say the thing that I that I guessed. Sure, yet, we, can, but, we can get to it at the end. Yeah, yeah. We'll at the end. yeah anyway. Okay, so um, one of the things that I found really interesting about this, the lead-up to this show, is a lot of people, in, including our beloved Vince, what was very were very critical of the idea of sort of the way that the police were going to be represented in the show. And we, yeah. And we get the beginnings of how the police were represented in this, in this pilot. We see a... Um, I guess this actually happened before the Black Oklahoma scene, but we see a police officer pull over somebody and uh, essentially, well, uh, people who are listening to this have watched the show, so I'm not going to go beat by beat, but we see the police officer essentially shot down by a member of the 7th Cavalry, which we'll get to more in a second. Um, but we see that there's there are police protocols, like all the police officers are wearing masks. They have to basically request the use of their firearm because their firearm is locked in their police car and they cannot, you know, get to it. Um, I think it's actually a very interesting take of sort of how, how police work in this world. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you find it as problematic as the sort of description of the show led it to be? So I, I really want to talk about, this is one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk the most about um, because actually like just yesterday, um, I saw an article kind of talking about this and saying, uh, I think the headline was something along the lines of Watchmen wants to make you hate white supremacists by making you love cops. And after watching this episode, I, I think that's a little disingenuous because as we'll get to, I think the show really makes you want to hate both. Yes. And, in and some the more ways, you watch... I think that will become more clear as well. So, um, but I thought that this scene in particular was really interesting and kind of the, the episode in general. And I say interesting because I don't want to say good because I don't know if it's good yet, but the show really does some weird, um, it does some interesting stuff with race. Um, yes. And plays with racial dynamics. It inverts racial dynamics a lot of times. And and that's what I'm not sure is good or not. So, like, for instance, in this episode or in this specific sequence, um, the the police officer is African-American. The man being pulled over is white. And the scene plays out with kind of the... Um, the the kind of sequence of events and the anxieties that you would expect from a a situation with a flipped 
racial perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the white individual who's being pulled over has, you know, kind of the he puts his hands on the steering wheel. He's very cautious as he reaches over to his glove box. Um, he's listening to hip hop in his car as he's driving. And I'm like seeing this and I'm thinking, okay, what is this trying to say? Is this saying anything of value? And I still don't really know. That's a really interesting sort of place to maybe begin this conversation. Um, I would think that all of the things that you're talking about are intentional. I do not believe that anybody like didn't realize what they were doing with putting all those elements in there, the hip hop, everything else that, that clearly evoke the, um, the experience of being pulled over uh, as an African-American an experience, by the way, we should say neither of us know shit about like we should, right. We right. Should make we're it just like, yeah, yeah, we're two white dudes, and yes. so everything that we know is th- through stories and experiences of, of others. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, but I will also say that if you if you go down that line of thinking, there's a very problematic ending to the scene, which is that um, it turns out that he was correct to be pulled over. Like, if, you know... I could I could see you saying like well if this is supposed to mimic the black experience well then are we saying that black men are dangerous? Um, sure. Well, I, and and so, but there's almost like an added wrinkle to it too because so this is where I started to get worried in this scene because I was afraid oh no, this show is going to make us feel sorry for the white supremacists because he the the man who is pulled over yes he uh, you know attempts to murder this this cop in just cold blood um and yes he did have a rorschach mask in his glove compartment but the you know the police officer didn't believe him that he was just carrying lettuce in the back of his truck which at the end of the scene after he shot him he throws a lettuce leaf at him and i i i saw that and i thought is this trying to be a vindication of of unjust profiling you know what i mean uh-huh. and that i got i got really kind of worried about that and i think i think that the rest of the episode shows that that's very like not what this is about but right. I, I guess like i just i i was already like very heightened on edge about what this is trying to say um and and that scene was just very tense in general. It was, yes. Um, and, yeah, let, let, let's put that aside for a few minutes here. So the, we get a scene a little bit later of um, basically, I mean, would you call, who would you call the protagonist of the show? Um, I, I would say Regina King's character. Yes, uh, Angela Abar. Is her name, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we see her at her uh, child's school giving a uh, basically a baking lesson. And there are a number of things in this scene and in this classroom that are big hints to sort of like the overall Watchmen mythos, right? So we mm-hmm. see there's an anatomy of a squid poster 
that is hanging in the in the classroom. We see a poster of the American presidents, including Robert Redford as the as the recent president. Um, we hear about this event called the White Knight. We uh, we hear the phrase Redfordations uh, for the first time, which again that will come to play in, in future episodes a little bit. Um, that's not too much of a spoiler, but there's sort of a lot of this scene has a lot of world building in in terms of just giving you an idea of sort of what the everyday life is like in in the wake of the events of Watchmen having happened thirty years earlier. Um, what did you think of of this aspect of the sort of the little winks and nods to to things that had come before in the Watchmen universe. So I thought it was really good. I thought it was good world building um, because it plays on an understanding of Watchmen um, in some really interesting ways. Like, I don't think that you would pick up on a lot of the things, um, you know, specifically like um, her being born in Vietnam. Yes, and... Vietnam is a state. I forgot to mention that. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And that, yeah, Vietnam being a state and her being born there. Um, and then um, the the president's the presidential poster, um, you know, kind of going from Nixon to. Um, do you remember who the president was between Nixon and Redford? I was think there was there, one other one. Was there a president? I, I thought I, that there was maybe one more. I can't. I can't remember now. But, um, and and just kind of knowing, you know, some of the the stuff from Watchmen um, was really helpful, but also I feel, I think that the way that they wove it in and the way that they kind of presented things like, you know, like the red predations and the white knight um, told you enough, told you what you needed to know without beating it, beating you over the head with it. Yeah. I felt this was a very, very effective scene for exactly what we're talking about. It just gave you a sense mm -hmm. of the world a little bit. Um, yeah. And this is all stuff that if it was doled out in like uh, conversation in almost any other setting, it would have been very boring exposition. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of, of things that happen in the next scene that are <laughs> wild. So the first one is that when driving home from school, uh, Angela is speaking to Topher, her son, and they hear this like essentially an air raid siren go off and kind of get frustrated and pull the car over. And then you see a raining down of little tiny squids <laughs> that, that seemed to like melt and just kind of disintegrate on impact. <laughs> yes. And you can tell that everybody is like inconvenienced by this, but nobody seems all that scared by it. You get the impression this is something that just happens every now and then. Um, and there are lots of implications for that, because on, on one hand, at least, so I, I figured, and part of this is probably because we are cursed to be reading Doomsday Clock right now, but part of me figured that the world had figured out that Vite was full of shit. Yeah, so I think at one, I don't know if it's at this point in the episode yet, but you see like a newspaper headline that, or like an, a a news, some news footage that says something like, uh, by dead or whatever, dead. or declared, yes. declared, 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 yeah. sure, sure. So like he is still in the news at, in the world at large. And, um, I think that's a, 
fair assumption. It may not be true, but I, I think it's a fair assumption. And so, but like, but my point was that well, if they know that Vite caused the squid thing, then how were there still squids falling from the sky? <laughs> like that. So was... there's. Yeah, well, I was going to say there's an interesting thing that happens a little bit later um, that I know we'll get into, but uh, in an interrogation scene, um, Tim Blake Nelson's character has a, a, what? Looking glass. Yeah, looking, the looking, looking glass is his, uh, his, um, not vigilante, not superhero, I guess his (laughs) cop name. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into that in a few minutes too. Yeah, sure, sure. But he says something along the lines of, do you think that uh, interdimensional attacks are the result of uh, of like a government ploy or or a government plot or something like that? And I thought that that was interesting in relation to this. Very much so. Yeah. I think no matter what you say about this show, I think one of the things that works about it is just how how many mysteries are established in the first episode. Yes, which is, you know, one of the reasons I love this why I love like the work of Damon Lindelof and and people like him. Yes, just, you know, these rich mysteries that we yeah. that we will spend the rest of the season and possibly seasons you know, um, just that will un- unfold, you know, as, mm-hmm. as time goes on. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So we, we then see uh, Angela go to her bakery that she's going to be opening. And there's an old man outside the bakery played by Lewis Gossett Jr. Who called me young man or, or, or rather called me a young person at the press junket, which <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, who basically he he talks to her for a second. He asks her, "Do you think I can lift two hundred pounds?" Which is a hilarious old man thing to just like ask somebody. Um, but it turns out, spoiler alert, that will come into play later. Um, yeah. Uh, but we. Oh, I just wanted to mention real quickly. We see some blimps during the scene with the squids, and blimps are a big thing in the original Watchmen. And it was interesting to see them still being a thing in the world of the TV show. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Dirigibles, even. Yes, dirigibles. Yes, even. <laughs> uh, back on our <laughs> bullshit. Um, so, first of all, I, I love that the name of the bakery is the Milk and Hanoi instead of Milk and Honey. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, a, a, cl- a clever yeah. play on, uh, on words there. Um, and uh, the password that Angela uses to get into, like, the back of the bakery where it's basically her bat cave is 1985. I didn't catch that. Okay. Yeah, which is obviously the year that the original Watchmen graphic novel take place. And I should say, Damon Lindelof said very clearly a couple of times, the comic is canon. Everything that happened in the comic happened in the, sh- in the world of the show. Um, so yeah, that's important to know. So uh, we, we're about to get one of my favorite parts of the show which is the reveal of American Hero Story, <laughs> the uh, the show within a show. Yeah, it's, which is such a Watchmen thing, you know. It is. Um, even even Doomsday Clock is doing it. Yes. Um, so th- there is this show called American Hero Story, that is essentially <laughs> what it sounds like. It's 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 a uh, like a dramatic a dramatic retelling of the story of the Minutemen. And the heroes of the of the time, 
And uh, I just think it's a very funny idea and one that's executed pretty well in this first episode. Uh, yeah, agreed. Um, all right, so uh, I want to get into uh, just a couple more things, and then I want to get to the end of the episode. Uh, have I skipped anything yet you wanted to talk about? Um, I I don't think so yet. Okay. Well, let's holler if if you, if I do. Um, so we get a scene at the sort of police headquarters here, and this is where we see that it looks like sort of the uniformed rank and file cops all wear yellow masks and are just officer or whatever. And then it seems like once you get to detective, maybe <laughs> you are given a different mask, a, um, a mask that you get to choose and you adopt some sort of code name. Yeah. So we meet looking glass. Uh, Angela's name is lady Knight. Or I think it's, I thought it was sister night. Oh, sorry. Sister night. You're right. Sister night. Yeah. Um, because she's she kind of has kind of a nun esque yes she does um, look. In fact, I think she's even described as as looking like a nun by the by the seventh cavalry guy that she hauls in. Yes. So um, we we start to get a little bit more of an understanding about the seventh cavalry in this sort of police briefing scene. Probably uh, like the the most overt. Well, one of two extremely overt Watchmen callbacks in the in the episode. Yes. Um, what was the one you were thinking of from this scene specifically? Uh, from this scene specifically, um, there is so we we um, see Angela come into this room um, where all of the officers are gathered and they're watching um, like a video, um, a recording of the Seventh Cavalry members, and there's one um, kind of that has the focus he's kind of in a, a pulpit type setting um and he is essentially like quoting rorschach's opening monologue from watchmen um and kind of heralding in this return of the seventh calvary yes um they also refer to it as the seventh k a number of yeah. times. So I, I yeah. guess Calvary is spelled with a K, which again has very like white supremacist roots with the the Ku Klux Klan, you know, um taking yeah, the word clan that is a C word and turning it into a K word. So um there's that. So there's a little bit here where um I first of all, I never took Latin in school, so I was I was not exactly sure certain what uh but the the police meeting ends with Don Johnson's character, Judd saying i believe it's quiz custodian ipso custodios and that means who watches the watchman i looked it up oh okay, okay. So that is that is like the uh um their phrase they say at the end there sure sure there, there's a really key thing that i don't want to like, spend a ton of time on but they um talk a little bit about the kind of bylaws that are governing police officers now yes. and there's this um law where um the only way to lethal or to uh legalized like full lethal force and i think it's only for a 24-hour period as if a majority of the police force feels that they are threatened or in imminent danger which they do do that um and it seems like a pretty uh thin um protection against the kind of things that we are seeing today which like uh, one thing i did kind of want to say is like this is the most like 2019 show that i think could exist <laughs> yes you know 
or, or the most not even that the most like trump era show that could exist mm-hmm. um vince asked us in in our text chat whether or not there were any overt trump uh allegories or, or references and i said no not exactly but the the whole thing is just stewing in current american like socio-political landscape yes yes agreed um so we also we, we begin to see some of the more masks that people are wearing some of the other masks people wear here and so we see um and, and these are not spoilers there's a character whose name is red scare who is wearing it's like a red ski mask essentially he really kind of looks like um the um rain wilson's character in Oh, crap super? what was that movie yeah, that super was, yeah he he reminded me a lot of him yeah and then we also meet someone whose name is panda and he just wears a giant panda <laughs> mask like, like like a like a sports mascot panda mask yeah and uh, yeah, yeah so it's 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 a really weird and, and we should say don johnson's character is not wearing a mask he's the chief of police and he is not wearing a mask um, yes so but anyway that whole scene is a very um it, it, again it's an exposition heavy scene but it's not painfully exposition heavy sure um yeah so um yeah um let's see a couple other things I want to discuss um okay so we get a couple of things here we see Nixonville which is the uh like the the name of essentially a a district in Tulsa, which appears to be a trailer park for Seventh Cavalry members. <laughs> um, yeah, or at least racist which, or yeah, really it was it was described. yeah. I thought that part was maybe a little heavy handed, but it it was also such a short segment that I think it worked. Um, it it was funny if just because of the giant nixon like bobblehead statue outside of (laughs) the trailer park yeah um agreed and so then so he is there she goes after somebody who is uh seventh cavalry and brings him in and turns him over to looking glass who puts him in something they call the pod and uh this gave me very much room 32 lost vibes Remember that room that the others had? Yes, yeah, 40, the like, room Jacob 42. room. Room 42, yes, the Jacob room, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Looking Glass interrogates people, and it, which, his mask is like this reflective surface. Uh, it looks like the hottest thing any human's ever worn on their face. Like I can't imagine how sweaty you would get. Well, and there was it. like a weird scene where he was wiping his face off with yes, his mask his off mask with off, like yeah. a yellow cloth. Um which was weird. Um, also, uh, when light shines on that mask, it looks quite similar to another famous mask. Perhaps a Rorschach mask? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, he, you know, the interrogation room, and basically, Looking Glass says that, you know, that he is trained and so he can tell when someone's lying in this in this room and he's lying and then sister and I it's like okay I'll I'll take care of this and then she beats the shit out of the guy and gets her gets him to admit 
sort of where where the Seventh Cavalry is planning their next. I guess I guess where they're like where their hideout is essentially. Yeah. Can I can I say that I am like very very um I I have Looking Glass on watch now like one because of the way that his mask looked in that scene and also because um because like Tim Blake Nelson is like the most Rorschach like when he was cast I thought oh he's playing Rorschach right he he is Walter Kovacs he and Jackie (laughs) Earl Haley could be like cousins exactly exactly and so um part of me one wonders if that's just the creators kind of playing with expectation um and setting up a red herring but then uh, on the other hand you know maybe he is a mole right um Again, it is so hard not to talk about things that I know already. Uh, <laughs> so incredible. You got you got to catch up quick, Zach, so we can talk about this stuff. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but so th- there, there's a scene where they go to this cattle farm where the seventh K is holed up. They are they are like mining watch batteries for reasons we don't really know yet. Um, but then there's a um, very. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I. Well, I'll save it till the end. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, there is a very violent shootout involving lots of cow parts flying everywhere. Super oh, gross. So gross. Super gross. Uh, there is a poster in the house that is an old advertisement for a bank with dollar bill on it. Uh huh. I don't know if you spotted that or not. I, I, I did. Yeah. I paused a bunch of things here to see what it was. So that's interesting. But so basically, they run them out of this house, and then you find out that fucking Don Johnson is in Archimedes. Or something very similar to Archimedes, the uh, night owl's flying contraption, basically above this farm, um, which is the first like really overt watchman thing we've seen. Oh man, uh, yeah, I actually I left that out. I forgot about that when I was thinking of my two other my two things. So there's still one more thing. Okay, yeah, but I mean, it, if that wasn't Archimedes, that it was had, certainly yeah. a prototype. Ba- or Archimedes was the prototype for that. For sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now we're going to get to the stuff that I cannot wait to talk about, which is the Adrian Veidt stuff. <laughs> so weird. Okay, so... So good. So Adrian Veidt, played by the amazing Jeremy Irons, who's so good and just chewing scenery in all of these moments. Um so he is in this castle. I believe he rides up on a horse the first time we see him, correct? He does. Yeah, he does. And um, he is brought... And his, his thighs are a little raw because of it. <laughs> yes. And so we, we see a servant like massaging his thighs. When I watched this with uh, my wife, she thought that she was doing more than just massaging his thighs. Um, uh-huh. Which, you know... Because I, he's completely nude in the scene. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then um, we see uh, he has clothes brought to him, and he says, well, these are pretty formal. And they're like, what's your anniversary, sir? And then they sing him for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. They give him a cake that is kind of like squid-ish, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to to describe what it is. but It's not quite unlike the squid monster from the original Watchmen. Yes, it is very similar to that. So then he blows up the candle, and... He he wants to cut the cake, and his servant hands him a horseshoe instead of a knife. 
and we don't really get an understanding of why that happens. It just is there. And we move on from it then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then he talks about how he's writing a play. And what was the name of that play, Zach? The play, uh, if I recall correctly, is The Watchmaker's Son. Yes. And who do we know who is a watchmaker's son? Yes. That is prominently featured in Watchmen. Yes, that would be one John uh, John uh, Osterman, is it? Osterman, yeah, I yeah. believe that's correct. Um, who, who we see in this episode. How do we see him? I'm trying to think. There is a news broadcast of him oh, yes. on Mars. On Mars, yes, we see we see him building on Mars, um, which is and it's not made clear. I don't think if that is just you know old footage of you know Watchmen era. It's very very high fidelity if it is. Yes. Um, but I think that they got. I guess they did have some technological advancements back then because of Doctor Manhattan, but. Yeah. It's not made clear if that is uh, past footage or present. Right. Um, so then we, we get a, a dinner scene at Angela's house with Judd and his wife and Angela and her kids and her husband, Cal, the very attractive Cal. Um, and Judd does a little uh, sugar booger a uh, booger sugar <laughs> a little cocaine <laughs> um and for for reasons that were not really made clear of why he's just doing a bump in the kitchen at this dinner party but he is then he sings another song from Oklahoma he sings uh, he sings people will say we're in love and it's a very charming scene where he's dancing with the kids and with his wife and it's just it's a it's it's a nice scene um mm-hmm. and then you know uh so they go their separate ways, and then he gets a phone call that he has to. He wants that the the police officer is that he woke up. Is that what we hear? Yeah, he. It was the. It was yeah. He woke up. The yeah. police officer that was shot in the beginning of this episode, and so he goes out to see him. And as he's driving, he has his tires slashed by like a strip that's laid out in the road, and then he sees this light flashing. Right, I guess it's it, it looks like it's almost flashing, like it looks almost like a spotlight in his face. Right, right, yeah. And uh, and then, um, we we go back to Angela. She gets a phone call, and she is uh, she is summoned to to go someplace. And he the phone call the person on the end of the phone call says, "I know who you are, so don't bother wearing a mask." And she drives, and she sees. Uh, I guess she 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 knows she's told where she goes or whatever, and she gets there, and she sees the flashlight again, and she walks up to this big giant tree, and sitting in front of the tree is the old man in the wheelchair from the beginning of the episode, and strung up in the tree is Chief Judd, and he is yeah. very dead. He's very dead, and uh, the man in the wheelchair has a note. That we've seen before. Yes, the note says, watch over this boy. Um, Now, this is what I was talking about with, if you know Oklahoma, there's a song called Poor Judd is Dead. And the line from that song is, it's summer and we're running out of ice. And so I feel like if you if you put that together, you would think, oh, there's a, there's a major character named Judd here. And uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much as, 
if you know the musical, it's a very big hint, you know, to okay. what's coming. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think I had actually, so I, I heard that bit in the song at the end, but I think I had forgotten that his first name was Judd. And so that piece of the puzzle ties it all together. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did want to say one quick thing, by the way, which is that uh, when Judd is in the car, he's listening to some sort of right-wing radio broadcast, and they refer to Robert Redford as the Sun Dancer in Chief, <laughs> which I yes. loved. Loved it so much. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, a lot of good world building, again, in things like that, things that, you know, you... It's in the background. It's not overt. If you catch it, it's just a nice nod. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, yeah, there's a lot of that. So, you know, when talking about this episode as a whole, well, first of all, was the other overt Watchmen thing Dr. Manhattan? Yeah, that was the right. other one that I was thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, you know, in talking about this episode, I don't think there's any part of it that truly doesn't work. I would agree, yeah. I think that some parts work better than others, and some parts are clearly laying the groundwork for other things. Mm -hmm. um, but I also thought, like, you know, there, I, we mentioned before, sort of the beginning of the episode feeling very similar to season, the, the introductory, introductory episodes of seasons two and three of The Leftovers. But I also have to say that the um, the end of the episode is very much a reference to Lost, where there's the... In the pilot of Lost, there is a pilot, <laughs> the pilot of the airplane, who we are led to believe in that episode is going to be a major character. And then that character winds up dead in a tree at the end of the pilot. Man, good call. I didn't actually even make that connection. Um, yeah, very, very good. Played by... Uh... J.J. Abrams' good friend, Greg Grunberg. Yes, uh, uh, Snap Wexley himself. Snap Wexley, the, the legendary resistance fighter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, there, there were a lot of Lindelofisms. And this is also the episode, I, I, I'll say this, I think, without spoilers. This is the episode that visually plays with things like clocks and smiley faces the most. Yeah, there's a, there's a ticking clock throughout most of the dinner scene and following as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, you know, when yeah. Angela is baking for the class, she is scooping up egg whites. I mean, sorry, egg yolks rather. And the egg yolks make a smiley face in the bowl at one point. And, yeah. It's uh, very cute. You know, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's very, and we should say like, not the, quite tongue in cheek, but almost, yes. The most overt bit of that is, um, the the episode ends with blood dripping on Judd's badge, mm -hmm. which is very uh, very much a comedian thing, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and and in the exact same, you know, kind of uh, like five minutes to midnight position. Yes. Um, from the comedian's button. Button. Um. Button. <laughs> so. You know, sometimes I feel like talking about something can make my opinion on it change a little bit. Has Same, talking about yeah. the episode with me changed the way you felt about it at all? I think it made me like it more than I already... It, it, I think it's taken away a little bit of my trepidation, just kind of talking it out. Um, it's... Um, 
yeah, I think I can now, like, talking about it, say that I liked the first episode pretty pretty soundly. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens next. Um, well, next is an episode called Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship, which is quite a title. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we will have a lot more to talk about with that episode there, there i have to say like one of the things that i was very concerned about and i think i said this to you when we, when we first talked about this is that i could see people say that this episode and to a certain degree the second episode are boring that there are like I can... there are little oh, spots of action that happen but a lot of it is not super um watch mini it's well i would almost argue against that because i think that watchmen itself wasn't a very high action series it a lot of it was just kind of the tenseness of the moment to moment things um and and some of the and there is a corollary to that here yeah yeah i you know probably like the most iconic issue of Watchmen, the I think the fourth one, which is Dr. Manhattan um and and kind of like jumping through time, you know, that is just almost entirely all in his head, essentially, you know, him right. talking. And yeah, so um I can I'll... definitely see what you mean though about it, it at least in like this climate of like television and, and you know, coming off of you know, this is, I guess, like really other than unless you count something like Chernobyl or something, this is kind of like the big marquee um, HBO show following Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, which was very high action in some places. Yeah. And I guess what I also meant was that there are two very different audiences for this show. There are the folks like you and me who were who are familiar with the comic and there are folks who are going to be coming in cold. And I think for the folks coming in cold, they're going to find this very boring. Or even I think, I mean like, I don't want, uh, <laughs> I don't want to sound like such like a pretentious like douche, but I mean, there are the people who are like familiar with Watchmen through the book and then people who are familiar through it uh, from the film. And that's going to be, that's going to bring like a different, um, you know, different baggage, different expectations. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, I definitely. There's no Bob that. Dylan in this. No, there is not. Uh, just a <laughs> lot of Oklahoma music. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah. A- any final words? It's good. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I said this uh, a couple of times, but each episode really does the, the first two episodes are the most similar of any of the episodes in the show. Once you hit episode three, stuff starts coming fast at you. And I think that that will be the real test for a lot of people if they like the way the show changes when episode three hits. That's all I'll say for now. Anyway, okay. uh, thank you for listening to us to us talk about this guys this is a lot of fun and we're gonna do this every week the show is on uh you can find zach on twitter at looker fox i'm at brian needs a nap and um subscribe to the show 
throw up a comment if you like it. Tell your friends who are watching the show to check us out. And we shall be back next week. And uh, remember, who watches The Watchmen? Zach and Brian watch The Watchmen.